session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Delokwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is What's Your Pronoun by Dennis Barron. What's Your Pronoun Beyond He and She? And uh, this is... um, uh, a subject that has been talked about a lot in recent years, but not just in recent years, as the author mentions. Uh, this has been discussed for hundreds of years about coming up with a third-person pronoun that is gender-neutral, um, or maybe it's okay for it to not be gender-neutral. He has been used, they has been used. Um, people have created new words, Z, Zer, all the things, I'm not even sure if I'm saying them right, but lots of different ones, Thon, um, to, to come up with this third-person pronoun when we're talking to make things a little bit easier to not assume someone's gender. But then, of course, it also has political and social ramifications because it has been used in issues related to the feminist movements and uh, equal rights for men and women. When something says he, does that mean only men? or does include men and women, and also with issues related to transgender um, individuals who would like to be called by a preferred pronoun. And so this concept of preferred pronoun has come up um, as well. So th- this book is interesting, though, because it's not just about what we should do. He's a linguistic, Dennis Barron, and he linguist. Uh, he's uh, sharing the history of it and also I'm only about 20-something pages in, but already he's going into some of that history and discussions on what options there are. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting. One of my favorite books a few years ago was also by a, a linguist. It was How We Talk. I think the last name of the author was Enfield. So um, every so often, I don't want to just read psychology books, which also um, is a reminder for people to give recommendations. They don't have to just be exactly psychology-related or psychology authors it can be uh, related topics or anything interesting, send them my way. Uh, and related to that, um, in a way of thinking about different things, I wanted to talk about open-mindedness and being open-minded to start the show today. Uh, it's one of those things that's kind of interesting. Everyone thinks they're open-minded. No one will say, no, I'm very closed-minded. Because when we use that word open-minded, what we mean is um I'm rational and I'm smart and I have opinions and beliefs, but if new information comes that's correct and convincing, of course, I will change my mind to incorporate that new information because I'm open-minded. Because to assume or to say you're closed-minded means that you are going to ignore the truth or ignore other opinions and facts, that you're going to be closed off to people, closed off to people who are different from you or think differently from you. 
and no one wants to, to be that way, to think that of themselves or for others to think of them. So I wonder, I don't know if they've done research on this specifically, they probably have, of asking people if they're open-minded. And my guess would be that most people, almost all people will tell you that they are, that they think they are open-minded um, individuals. So that, that to me is interesting when we think about that. And we know that uh, there's lots of research showing different things, like when you ask people if they think they're a good driver, more than 50% of people will say they're better than average or better than whatever the standard is much more usually do. Or if they ask professors, do you think you're better than other professors or work harder than other professors? More of them will say they do than half. So we know that in general, we overestimate ourselves, um, which in some ways can also make sense because you are with yourself. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to... Um, take care of yourself, it makes sense that you'll have a sort of egoistic view of life that you see yourself differently than others. In some ways, we have to do that. You have to think of yourself as somehow special and unique to want to keep surviving in a way. But of course, that can backfire or go to different extremes. But coming back to this theme of open-mindedness, we all like to think we are open-minded. And I've recognized this when you talk to people and you see them and they might even say they're open-minded and then very quickly show you how closed off they are. And so essentially what, how it works is we are open-minded on issues we think it's good to be open-minded about. But then on the ones where we're not open-minded, we think it's because we're right. So we shouldn't be open-minded. If I say 2 plus 2 is 4, I shouldn't be open-minded about let me hear other uh, opinions or ideas on that. Um, I'm sure some very intelligent mathematicians can tell me concepts that can make some of those things true or untrue in advanced ways I probably wouldn't understand. But first, just looking at that, if I think I'm really right about something, then I almost think it's actually wrong for me to be open-minded. And so that's where we find ourselves in trouble is that we are a bit blind to that. We think we're open-minded on issues I should be open-minded on, and on the rest, I'm just right. And so if I actually change my mind, that would be wrong or bad. It actually isn't good to be open-minded. And there is some truth to that. Even if we look at open-mindedness, um, being open or openness to experience is sometimes considered a personality characteristic or trait. It's one of the big five personality traits. Um, being open, of course, is good. But there is a way that being a little bit skeptical protects us as well. And so if I just talk to anyone and whatever they tell me, I just take it in as truth that would be a problem too, if I would be in that way too open-minded in the sense that I'm not really critically thinking or evaluating it in another way, that I'm just taking it all in. That's not good either. So we can think of open-mindedness kind of like a barrier or where we want it to be flexible, where it will let some things in, but it won't let everything in to change our mind instantly. We'll have some level of skepticism. That can be healthy and okay. Um, and actually, the analogy that came to my mind, which is very, um, makes a lot of sense for the current time is our immune system. Your immune system has to, of course, let some things in. Uh, it can't reject everything. Of course, an overactive immune system even can reject parts of our own body or healthy things. That's not good. But of course, it can't just let everything in and not reject anything either. So we have this psychological immune system when it comes to ideas and concepts where we want to be aware of things, take things in, but not take them in completely. But coming back to people who 
uh, maybe this is all of us think we're open-minded, but we're not exactly on things where we think we're right, we aren't open-minded. There are lots of reasons why we aren't open to hearing new things, new perspectives. One very important was we don't like to be wrong. And so if I'm going to be open-minded, part of being open-minded means I have to accept that maybe the things I believe to be true, the opinions I have, the values I hold, whatever the concept or the topic might be, that I might be wrong about that. And that doesn't feel good for anyone, but people differ in how much that bothers them or affects them. For some people, they can't tolerate being wrong. Um, for some, If they're perfectionistic, then it means they're a failure, they're stupid, they're all these bad things. And for some people, there's also this uh, grandiosity that I'm always right and I'm never wrong and people will expect me to be right all the time and I want them to see me in that way. So they have a very hard time accepting that. And I think you even can see that sometimes in people's uh, expressions where there's this closed offness. Like, you know, you'll say, you know, this is this way and they say, no, it's like this. And then you'll essentially prove it or somehow show that they're not right. Like, no, 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 no. It's still, something still is not right about it. They just don't want to change their mind. Even sometimes they'll ask someone about something that has happened and then you'll show them video evidence that shows that what they remembered was wrong. We know that our memories are very fallible. A lot of times we are so certain we remember something right, but we don't. Or two people will see the same incident and remember different things about it. But you'll show them video and they still won't want to accept it. Something just makes it hard for them to tolerate that, that they were wrong because they were so sure they were right. And it doesn't feel good. Even I can um, speak to this for myself, that it doesn't feel good to be wrong, of course, and it also doesn't feel good to be wrong about things that matter to us. So, for example, if I'm drawing something and you tell me I make mistakes, I'm not going to care because I know I'm not very good at drawing, and so that's fine. But let's say if it's something related to my thoughts or ideas, things I talk about on the show, I do hope I'm open-minded, but I know that it will be harder for me to accept that, to be wrong about something I care about or I feel is important to me or I feel is part of my identity of who I am or who I feel uh, or what makes me valuable in some way, that's going to be a little bit harder for me. So if you talk to a, a biologist and you're proving something they believe about biology might not be true, that might be very hard for, and it's funny, him or her, what's your pronoun, um, for that person to take that in because they're like, wow, this is something that I've studied my whole life, or I value, or I've come up with a theory about this. If, if it's proven wrong, that doesn't feel good. And that's why we even see in science where people are supposed to be objective. The scientific method is created in a way to try to bring about the most objectivity uh, and unbiased way of looking at information and data. But we still know scientists have a very hard time accepting new ideas, that a lot of times there's evidence that a theory is not true or that something needs to be revised. But it takes a long time for scientists to accept this, people that are supposed to be open-minded and believe in the self-correcting power of science will get in the way of letting that happen. So we have a hard time taking in things when especially it hits us a little bit more deeply. So that could be about just our personality doesn't want to ever be wrong. We have a very hard time with that, so everyone doesn't like it. Some don't like it more than others. But also we can look at what are areas where we have a harder time being open-minded because it's more significant to us to be right about this. If everyone thinks you're so good with directions and you're always known to the person who can give directions, I'm thinking of my cousin Fashid, actually. We always ask him where to go because he's really good with that. But if everyone knows you in that way and then you're wrong, it might be hard for you to take that and be like, uh-oh, 
I was wrong. So you might try to come up with a reason. Oh, you know, uh, they flip things around or something is, uh, has changed since last time. Or, you know, I thought we were facing this way or I thought you asked me this. We'll come up with an excuse because it can be hard for us to tolerate that because it's very valuable for us to be right about this and to not be wrong about that. So that's one aspect um, of it. But also, as I was mentioning, the immune system, there is a way that we like to feel good about what we know. There's a comfort and safety that comes with that. We create, in a way, this intellectual bubble, which can be very hurtful, but it can be a safe feeling to be like, okay, I, I know what's right about gun rights and about abortion and about this and about that, and it's right and it's good and it feels safe to think to ourselves that we have the truth with a capital T, something that's just you know, won't ever change. But with most things, that's not going to be the case. And we have to accept being uncomfortable to challenge things, to challenge ourselves. When you are so sure about something, those are the most dangerous things because those are the ones where you're probably making the most assumptions about. So when you find yourself feeling that way, as hard as it might be, we have to try, as we always want to do, to embrace that discomfort to be like, okay, maybe I'm not right. And that's even where the starting point is. Being open-minded doesn't mean you say you're wrong all the time either. As I was saying, that could be some other extreme where you just take everything in. But being open-minded means being open to the possibility, open to the new information, open to the other side. Um, another aspect of closed-mindedness is that you don't want to even hear about the other side, which is interesting because we might think it's because we're so right and we're so sure, but very often we don't want to hear about the other side because we're afraid to be wrong. So we think, well, this is how this is. Climate change is this or whatever the issue is. It's this way. And we say, oh, we don't, we don't even hear the other side. They're crazy or they don't know what they're talking about. But that's at times a defense because we're afraid to hear those arguments to be like, you know, maybe I'm not so right. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe I'm actually wrong about this. And so we know that people are very good at finding ways to justify whatever they want to think or believe, which oftentimes means dismissing new information or new ideas that come their way about the other side. Like, oh, come on, that's that's phony. And even th they've shown this, and I felt this myself, if you're going to read an article, and let's say you're, um, you believe in climate change, that it's happening and the world is going towards something uh, unsafe that could be bad for it, and you're reading an article that's in favor of your opinion, you're going to be like, yeah, see, look at this. The research shows it. How could anyone not believe this? But if you're from the other side or if you read an article from the other side, likely what you're going to do is start to find ways to dismiss that article as being right or true. You're like, oh, look, but look at the research. The data they used or the methods they used were not very good. Or these projections don't make sense. Or we don't really know about projections anyway. Sometimes they make them and we don't really know if it's going to be true or not. So this is probably the case. This is not right. So when we find something in favor of what we think, we're going to be very gung-ho about supporting it and saying it's very right and see this is more evidence that I'm right. But when it goes against what we think or we believe, we'll find ways to poke holes in that. Because again, it's, it's this way of trying to protect ourselves. It's hard to be open-minded. It is a challenge because it means you have to constantly be okay with understanding that you might not know. And that's just the final point I make is realizing we, we don't really know as much as we think we do. Even the scientists and people who are studying different issues have different opinions and ideas and thoughts and uh, data and projections and all sorts of things, but they don't know, know as in 100%. It doesn't mean we should not listen to them at all. It doesn't mean that what they say can't be helpful, 
but it also means we have to keep that level of open-mindedness that there is some amount of uncertainty. There are probably Nobel-willing economists who will make very different predictions. They might even make opposite predictions about what's going to happen in the next six months. So they both are very intelligent economists, but they might disagree. And in any field, you'll likely find this. There isn't complete agreement about almost any issue. And so we have to recognize that, you know what, I don't know and really almost no one knows anything fully or knows it 100%, and that's okay. We're trying to get closer and closer approximations to some kind of truth or understanding, and even we know that the world is changing too. Um, but no one really knows, and that's fine. We can still survive and go forward, but we don't know. How many people will die from coronavirus? You'll hear lots of different projections on that based on different things. Of course, we hope it's the smallest one comes to be true, but we don't know. And so we can hear them and try to understand them and understand what, where they're coming from and, and all that. And of course, you always want to look at the source and if there's any biases there, anyone has an agenda, obviously. But other than that, we also have to wear that we don't know for sure. We look at the weather. I think when I looked earlier this week, it said it was going to rain in LA every single day, but it hasn't rained that much, as much as it said. Okay, it was still helpful, give me an idea of what's going on, but it wasn't exactly true. We make predictions that don't always come out to be true. So when it comes to making predictions, we don't always know, but even about ideas that we're holding on to and maybe you've believed or thought about for years, trying to keep some level of openness will allow you to take in new information and not reject it. And again, that idea, that uh, analogy of the immune system comes in. You could be too closed off and not allow something good and healthy to come in because you're pushing it off because you're trying to stay in that comfort zone and that rigidity might actually hurt you. So we all think we're open-minded, but really it's something to be open-minded about, thinking about if you really are or not. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hambra, you're on the air. I don't know if I let's see. Hi, Dr. Farid. Hi, thanks for calling. Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure. All right. Well, I'm uh, calling about my son. Um, he's going to be 24 um, in a couple of weeks. Okay. He's been graduated from school with a Bachelor of Business, Sales, and Marketing, minor mm -hmm. of entrepreneurship um, for two years. Um, they, oh, he's really smart. He graduated, you know, the top 100% in his class. Mm, he, he can do anything he wants to do, but I feel like um, he doesn't even want to, he, he doesn't even want to try to find a job or um make himself a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He lives at home right now. I don't have any problem with him living at home. He, um, so last year, last well, year... Let me stop I, you for a second. You know, so I know you're saying you don't have any problem with him living at home, and I'm not saying you necessarily should, but part of the problem could be him being too too comfortable. So we have to keep that in mind. Another thing is just in hearing you talk, him being such a star student and also the the um, things he studied, business, and also you mentioned the entrepreneurship. Uh, sometimes what 
can happen is people have this, they hear things and they hear stories, especially in the entrepreneurial field of people making this much money and they made an app and they made this. And so they just get fixated on these big ideas of like doing something amazing. And so they don't want to start doing something small or start at the bottom. They already want to be having the big idea. So it's like, if I'm not going to make $20 million doing this, I don't want to even start. And so a lot of times that actually gets in the way of doing the the hard work or creating some movement and activity and gaining experience to get towards whatever those bigger goals might be because they don't want to start uh, start there. So all this potential, you're saying he's smart, he's, this can be good, but it could get in his way if he looks at himself too highly so that he doesn't want to start from the bottom, which is where he has to start. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. But, you know, I have to give a little bit of a detail sure. about him. He, um, he and one of his friends, they patent a, a pre-workout product that it's in a form of a tablet. Mm-hmm. So this is underway for two years. But And he has a part-time job with a very average that he okay. goes to work three days of the week for seven hours. And he tells me that he wants the other days to be clear for him so he can work on his business. Okay. But I see his business, you know, it's still in the very beginning stage, you know, in just trying the, the samples and having the production going. You know, it's very, very um, beginning stages of his work. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, through my connections that I've had, I've found him really good high-paying job, three of them, that is very connected to the business that he's trying to create. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, one of them, he says, because I have to move out of town, I'm not just going to send my application. One of them said, oh, it's only paying $55,000 a year. That's not enough. You know, for all three of them, really good job. But, you know, this is the first job he's had um, um, uh, internship uh, before. He has done internship before. He has experience in his level, um, but these are the jobs that they're provided for him, but he doesn't even want to send the application. Okay. Now, so, you know, I I know I said a lot of things at the beginning that might be, it might be true about him, it might not be, but also it seems like you're trying to find him jobs, which isn't also, a, a has doesn't have to be a bad thing, but we have to let him make the choices too for himself. And if, for he example... Is. Exactly. You, right. I called. I called you about six months ago. Yeah, I think it sounds familiar. What, yeah. Yes, and that's what you told me mm-hmm. that I don't have to mentor him. I, yeah. You know, I just have to sit back and let him decide about. His <laughs> I, I'm glad it. I'm glad it sounds like you. You. You listen to me. I think you're still not. Th- yes. You thinking you need to do oh, more no, than you I need did to. That. <laughs> no, okay. No, good. Good. No. I. I. I'm sorry. Uh, um, but I want to just say why I'm calling today. Sure. I feel like um, because he has everything provided for him, mm-hmm. he doesn't see any desire 
to even look for a job or any take any opportunity that is available for yeah. them. And at the same time, for me, I'm a mom. I want to give him everything I have. But at the same time, I don't want to enable him. Right. It's yeah. very uh, hard for me right now because he's going to turn 24 very soon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he's, I still have to pay for some of his stuff. And I don't believe with what he's saying. I didn't ask him how much you are getting paid, but I don't believe with what he is being paid. He's going to be able to pay for his lifestyle out of the house. I I don't know what to do at this point because I work with a therapist and um, he suggested about six months ago to me that I give him a two-month warning and say, okay, you know, you have two months to find a place and move out. But I don't want to do that because I feel like, you know, I want to do this on good terms. Yeah, well, this is, you mentioned it yourself, you're in between a a space of trying to help him but not enable him, and it's not going to be a a black and white line of what that is. But, um, you know, and you said, I want to give him everything I've got, and if you're focused on keeping things on good terms, which is good, but it can make it that you don't encourage him in ways, or maybe you would enable him, because giving everything you got sounds good in a way, but it could be bad because you can say, you know what, I, I want to give him everything I've got. So I've worked out so much that he doesn't have to walk anymore. I can carry him and everywhere and I'm giving him everything I've got. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I know it sounds I'm making kind of a, a joke of an analogy, but I see this sometimes with young with parents of young children where they think I should do everything I can for them. But they don't see the way they're limiting the child growing and becoming stronger themselves. So it's actually limiting yeah. them by giving them not uh, helping them in some way. So it, where that line is with him is something to look at. So it's not that you, and it's for you to be aware of when you're, if you do pull back some of the resources you're providing him and the support financially, let's say, it doesn't mean you're supporting him less or that you're loving him less. It's that you think it's better for him that you're doing it. I usually think it's better to make these conversations. So you talk to him about it rather than just um, giving him some kind of ultimatum. You could uh, have to do that if you feel like he doesn't change. I also want to be aware because you're seeing a therapist and working on things, uh, not to interfere too too much with that work to tell you something different from what that therapist is telling you. Um, but I think clearly since you called me six months ago and you're saying your therapist gave this to you, this suggestion to you six months ago, pulling back the resources that you're giving for him seems like it's very difficult for you. And so it could be good to look at what feelings are coming up for you when you think of, let's say, okay, if you ask him to find his own place, what do you feel about that? Hmm. You know, it's, um, he's been here since he's been nine months old, but he's American, but mm-hmm. in a way, I'm Iranian. I don't want to kick him out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I see, you know, I see in my culture, you know, everybody around me, even living here, still their kids, they still, after graduate, they live with their parents. And I don't want to be the only one telling him, okay, you need to go 
find a place to live, it's going to sound that, you know, I'm kicking him out. Well, that's why I'm saying. it. I, I don't see the the two extremes. I mean, there may be, that, these are the two extremes to say either he stays as long as he wants with no need to contribute or you have to kick him out of the house. Kicking out sounds very aggressive and, of course, uh, already shows how you feel about it. It could be that you talk to him about how he wants to contribute, what he wants to do. And I do want to remember even what I told you six months ago that um, we don't want to make your job to think you are his, you know, business coach and you're supposed to coach him on how to, you know, live his life in a business type of a way. You're just being aware as a mother, am I, how can I support him the best in the sense that how can I make sure I'm not limiting him, but also giving him whatever I can that helps him. So it's not to hold him back, but helps him. So it doesn't have to be kicking him out that you say, get out of my house, I don't want to see you again. It could be, I wanted to talk to you about how things are going in the home, um, financially. And I also want to ask you, financially, how are you doing? Is there a stress that comes with supporting him? No. No. So financially, you're doing fine. That There's no financial burden that you're concerned about. No. Okay. All right. Well, that that changes that, and obviously, you want to be genuine with him. You don't have to to make it seem like something's going on that's not, and he probably knows. Um, but you can talk to him about this and create a conversation or dialogue with him about how things are going. Even even can tell him, "I want to help you," but I do wonder sometimes if the support can make it so you get too comfortable. You can have a conversation with him about that. Yes, I had a conversation with him. A couple okay. of months ago, and I told him, if you have a steady job that you will pay, that you can get a loan to, you know, buy a, like a small house or a townhome for you to move out, I can help you <clears throat> with the down payment. And, you know, I would like you to, you know, to have at least six months of the 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 payment that you're receiving to show to be able to get a loan for for whatever we're going to purchase and I'm going to pay for the down payment. And he says, yes, I'm thinking about that. Um, just I need more time. You know, it's like for, for the whole two years, he's been telling me, oh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Just, you know, it needs time. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, now it's been two years. If I wait more, it's going to be another two years, and he is going to be in the same situation. And well, he might be. It might be, and you know, even when you, if you are to talk to him about what, these issues, and it's something I, I tell anyone, but especially parents, don't say too much. You know, even what you told him, pay this and do this and this much. Ask him what he wants to do. May, you know, he can just say, if you tell him a whole plan, he say, yeah, that sounds good, I'll work on it. Well, then you don't really get anywhere. That's not a conversation. That's just you said something and he doesn't give you much back. So if you want to have a conversation with him on these issues, try to make it where he's talking more than you. So even I can tell him the way because you're worried about these things, you might go on about them. Well, you know, and I worry and I don't know if maybe I'm doing too much, but maybe if I do too little, you'll think I don't love you that much. But if I don't do that, you know, and if you talk that long, he's not going to say much back. So I just want to see how things were going and then talk and just keep your statements pretty short to allow him to tell you more about where he is at. And eventually you might come up with a plan with him. You might think about what you'd like to do. 
But don't put the pressure on yourself either that I have to jumpstart his career. So it also goes back to what we talked about last time. So it's not that, okay, you as a mom have to make him as successful as he can be. That itself is part of the enabling. He has to do it. Now you can think about what you're doing and how it affects him, but you're not responsible for him either being a success or a failure or being, you know, meeting his potential or not. Don't put all that pressure on you and what you're doing. That has to be coming from him. And even some of that is maybe the issue is that you're putting it more on yourself than you need to. Mm-hmm. So if in two years, he might be in the same place in two years. You can think about what you've done to contribute to that in either, you know, either way, but you can't say, I have to make sure he's not in this, this space in two years. You can say, I don't like the idea of him living with me anymore. And so I'm going to talk to him about that. And so literally he might not be in this physical space in two years, but that you're responsible to make him successful is, is going to be unfair to you. And it's going to put a pressure on you and him. Cause then you're going to start dumping that onto him to make you feel better. So don't put that pressure on yourself that you have to, to fix this or to solve this issue for him. Um, business is one of those things where it's, you know, if you're, if you're studying, uh, bless you. Good thing about the phone is we don't have to worry about Corona when people sneeze or cough. We're not really worried about it as people are when they're around one another right now. Um, but you know, if you put that pressure on yourself to, to get him going, you know, business is different than for example, dental, you know, or some kind of professional career that has a clear path. And that's what makes it tough because being an entrepreneur, there's all this, oh, you know, for six months I did nothing and I was in my garage and working on this thing and people hear these stories. So we don't know, is he really working on it as he says, or is he kind of frozen right now and he's stuck? Is he scared of trying something? I don't know. And you probably don't know completely, but I wouldn't put that pressure on you that you're, you're the one that's supposed to, to fix his, his business situation. You know, we don't know if he's really working on it. But you know, as far as making him more independent, you know, to... But that you can do that, but you have to be ready that you're going to have to deal with your own feelings of guilt that seem to be coming up of doing that. If you want to do that, that seems like the guilt is holding you back from that. Am I being a bad mom? Yeah. All the other parents no, are not doing no, this. It's, it's, it might be a guilt because, you know, my son lost his dad when he was 18. So 18? I'm the only parent that he has. You know, somebody mm. that truly loves him. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Did you say 18? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, so you might be putting that pressure of being the mom and the dad, which I can understand. You feel that he's alone without you. Um, so you might and I feel more. like, you know, he's gone through so much. Yeah. Hmm. And that's We're an interesting thing. Gone through so much. Yeah. And maybe he has. And you've gone through a lot. You know, we've gone way over the commercial break, but I don't want us to end. And this is an important topic that's been brought up about what he's gone through and how that could affect even how you are with him. So I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold and we'll talk after the break, okay? Thank you. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talk. We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, So before the break, you shared... um, uh, some more information about your son and, and your family and what you've gone through that uh, his father passed away about five years ago, I think five or six years ago based on, yes. yeah. Um, and that of course, I'm sure that was very hard for both of you. W- were you and him still together at that time? Yes. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sorry for that loss for you and the, and the whole family. Um, and I know you were saying it affected him, but I'm sure it had a big impact on you as well that I don't want you to just think about him and also um, think about what you've gone through. But it seems that you feel more of a responsibility to take care of him because of what he went through, because he's lost that other parent. Um, and also you mentioned something that he's been through so much, which can create some feelings that we shouldn't put more pressure or pain to his life. He doesn't deserve it because he's already been through so much. Is that kind of, is that in a way what you were saying? Yes. Yeah. Which I understand. And this is the, the challenge of, of, you know, loving someone, especially loving kids when we're trying to help them grow is realizing that there's different kinds of pain. Of course, losing his father was uh, very harmful and damaging and hurtful in a way that no, no child teenager should have to go through. Um, and so that's a type of pain, but going through the kind of pains that you might encourage him to go through now would be ones that go towards him growing and actually would make him stronger. So of course we don't want to crush him and, and leave him completely without support. But what you want to do is, and this is to keep that mindset, that awareness that any discomfort he goes through isn't to hurt him further, but it's help to help him, to help him grow, to help him be stronger and that he can handle certain things. We don't want to think that, well, because he's gone through this, he can't handle anything else because he's going to have to handle, and he already has handled since then many other things as well. So if we go forward with this mindset that he can't handle any more pain or discomfort, then he's going to have to have very, you know, for lack of a better word, bad life, because he won't be able to do anything. He won't be able to, in his career, in his relationships, he'll just have to stay comfortable to stay safe. Um, So I can understand that that does add another layer of complexity to what you're going through, but that your mindset is always one of loving him, even if it is making something, let's say, more challenging for him in the short run. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? Uh, Yes, go ahead. Everything you said, it's correct. Um, But, um, you know, I really want to give that challenge to him, but give him with love and Mm -hmm. respect toward him because I don't want to lose my relationship with him. Have you Um, felt, have you felt like that's, you're close to losing your relationship. How do you think he sees you? Oh, <laughs> that's a very difficult question. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, if um, I've, I've had, um, you know, we've had um, um, difficulties yeah. uh, uh, together. Uh, he has a younger um, sister, my daughter. She's 17. Mm-hmm. It's still three of us. Um, you know, I've had to um, um, stand up to him for some choices, lifestyle choices that he was making before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, he's 24, and I really want to respect his privacy, his decision, and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he lives in the house. But, it's you know, his part is separate than the main part. So he's separate, but at the same time, he's here. Yeah. 
So he has to follow some stuff, especially because of his sister, that she's here and she sees everything. Sure. Now, um, one thing also, you know, it's, it's interesting you were talking about you wanting to be in a way like a mom and a dad to him and probably to your daughter also, which I I can understand, although we don't want you to put too much pressure on yourself, but also you might be wanting more from your kids because of this loss. And so you have to be aware of that too, that you might, uh, let's say be more, okay, we have to keep everyone together. So even if it's good for him to move out, you might have a resistance towards that because you don't want to lose another family member, even if you're just losing him to moving out and even you said i don't want to lose that relationship which i don't know how um you know heated things got between you and him and if it really got to the point where the relationship was almost going to be ending or at least going through something really bad but often, no we have yeah, a good relationship with you but as long okay. as i don't talk to him about what is he doing and what is his plan okay and you know, so maybe to, yeah you know, I have to mind my own business, and he minds his own business, and everybody gets along. Okay, and so may- maybe that's <laughs> the best way to do things. And that you know, if anything, it does seem like he wants you less involved than more involved. And so, yes, I am physically less involved. Okay, yeah, but uh, financially, right? Well, that and that's a thing. I mean, but you know, you you can make a maybe if you want him to contribute in some way, that's something you can talk to about him. But, um, you know, it doesn't seem like losing him unless you do something really drastic is going to happen. And so maybe also losing your husband makes you more afraid of losing someone or that you lost someone so unexpectedly can make you more afraid to lose someone else. So you're afraid to lose him. Um, But it doesn't seem like you're close to that. So I don't want you to feel so worried that I can't do this or I can't do that because I'll lose him. I don't think you should do anything so drastic anyway. And I think taking the pressure off of yourself that he could be in the same place in two years. And we can't just say that's hundred percent your responsibility because then you might do something more drastic that I still don't think would end the relationship, but might create more of a, you know, more trouble between you and him. Um, but maybe he's going through a lot too. I'm sure he did with the the death of his father and that has affected him as well. But putting more pressure on him in the sense that you want to be closer to him, you want to do everything for him, he might not like. Even you can ask him about you finding a job for him. Maybe he doesn't like that feeling of you finding a job for him. Maybe that doesn't feel good to, for him. I don't know. You know, it's not, But you know, it's the connections that I had and it was during a conversation Okay. Um, no, I'm not said, saying oh, you did something wrong. Sure. No, I'm not saying you did something wrong. I'm just saying I would want to understand from him if he wants to talk about it. He might say, Mom, I don't want to talk about it. I told you I don't want to talk about work stuff with you or, and whatnot. But um, these things are, are can be complicated. Maybe he doesn't want to get a job. Oh, my mom got me a job. I don't want that. I want to do it on my own. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm whatever. You know, I don't know what, what his mindset is, but I don't want you to think that he should take your help because... You know, you're giving it to him. He maybe doesn't even want some types of your help. And that's why I know he doesn't want to talk much about these things, but hopefully you can have some conversations with him, try to make them different before than before, rather than you coming at him in a way that might feel like you're going to judge or evaluate what he's doing and what he's not doing. It might be about trying to see the ways that you've supported him. What does he think has been helpful and not helpful? Or what does he like and doesn't like? 
And so you recognize, okay, he doesn't want me to talk to people about his work because that makes him feel bad, like they're judging him or they think he needs a handout or help. I don't know. We want to understand it from him, and you and I won't be able to figure yes, that out. He's, he's, he's actually, he has told me that, you know, I'm happy that I have that privilege that financially he can help me, so I don't okay. have to be so, you know, just take any job that is available for me. Okay, but if, you know, but have you asked him what, uh, that I sometimes worry, what if it's holding you back that I'm supporting you? I'm sorry. What was your question? Have you ever asked him? Does do you that you worry that, um, or let him know that you worry that by helping him you might hold him back? He doesn't believe in that. He doesn't believe in that. Okay. No, he doesn't believe in that. He says, you know, this job that I take three um, days out mm-hmm. of the week mm-hmm. is flexible. Um, it pays some of my expenses but I pay all the big expenses. And, uh, you know, this way I can work on my business. Okay. But his business, you know, having a do business, it takes a very long time. Sure. And, well, I mean... Know, and, it's been already two years. Right. And I, I get that it's, again, not a black and white thing, but he, we do have to be aware of him not losing touch with reality, actually, but not having to face the responsibilities of... The reality, too, which isn't all good. He might say, it's nice that I don't have to worry about the financial things so I can just worry about or focus on my business. Um, and sometimes that is true. A lot of times people who have created these big businesses, we always think of they had nothing and they made something. But a lot of times they had a, a part-time job or another job or they had some kind of financial support and then they created their big project. So there isn't some black and white, in my opinion, of what he you have to do or don't have to do. Don't put that pressure on yourself that you have to change things or make him do something. If you're okay supporting him, you can do that. Uh, there's no recipe that if you do this one thing, he's going to change all of a sudden. And maybe he doesn't have to change so much. That's another thing to keep in mind that when you put a lot of this pressure on him and pressure on yourself, in a way you're giving him this message that he's not okay, that he's not doing something right or you're judging how he's doing things, which maybe you are, but be aware of that too. And that's could be part of why he doesn't want to talk to you about the work stuff because he doesn't feel like he'll just tell you and be like, okay, great, thanks for letting me know. But he's waiting for you to have some kind of advice or input or judgment about what he's doing. And so he doesn't want to talk to you about it. And so that's something to be aware of too, yeah. that you won't be able to I have those. That. Yeah, so cool. he's not going to want to tell you much if that's the case. Now, again, you might feel like, there could be a part of him that doesn't want to talk about it because he also knows it's not good or something's not right. I don't know. Um, but just from your side to be aware that if you put that pressure on yourself to change him, you're also going to put that pressure on him and that judgment is going to become very clear to him that mom's not happy with what I'm doing. Mom doesn't believe in me. Mom doesn't, whatever else it might be. And, and it's tough because I've worked with a lot of families and sometimes a child might have a dream that's you know, we want to support our kids' dreams, and sometimes it could be really out there. And so it's like, where is that limit of supporting our children, but also keeping them aware of the reality of what's going on? You know, every child might want to become an athlete or a rock star or this or that, and we want to support them. At some point, we might have to be aware that they, they might be hurting themselves, and where do we draw the line? It could be tough. So with him, and it seems like he wants to build a huge business and become a very successful entrepreneur, which he can become. Um, but I think you're worried of, is it realistic? Will he do it? Is he going to just 
hurt himself or not go forward and be stuck. Uh, and I would say it's not your decision to make for him anyway. You can't make him change his life or change the way he does things only in small ways. And to keep that in mind, don't put that pressure on yourself. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just a question. So okay. do you think giving him more financial responsibility would it help the situation? <laughs> well, I was just saying we don't want to focus so much on, on the helping. I, I, I don't know because I'm not sure how he's going to respond. In my opinion, usually I don't like for doing the, to do these things without it being a conversation. So if you just tonight when he, you know, you talk to him, say, I've decided you have to pay $800 rent every month starting next month or something. You, you could do that. I would rather it's, it is part of a conversation with him that you talk to him mm -hmm. about it and you see why you're, why you're thinking that and see what he says. And, and still you can make that decision if you think it's right, but I'd rather it be a conversation. That's something you just impose on him. Um, what might feel like out of the blue. So I, I know you're looking for a, what's the right thing to get him to this or to get him to that. I don't know if it's that simple. And again, as I was saying before, take that pressure off yourself that you have to do something now to change him. Don't put that pressure on yourself. You can't change him. You know, that's going to be about him. You can be aware of what you're doing. And it does have some impact, but not to put all the pressure on you that you have to change the course of his career now. You know, you might have to let him figure some of that out too. All right. Is there any book you can recommend, you know, mm. how parents should interact with grown kids? <laughs> I don't know. That's actually a good, maybe I, I, someone like me will have to write it because it might be more for Iranian um, <laughs> families. But uh, I think there are some books like that. I don't know any off the top of my head. Uh, but I, because your dad, I've listened to your dad's series, but that's only till 18. <laughs> well, you know, there might be a reason why it stops at 18. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be something for you to think about that, you, you know, you're supposed to be doing less, not more. Um, so it's not yes. that after 18, it's actually you're supposed to be doing all these things that, that you know, getting so involved. It's, you have to get less involved. And I can understand the themes of losing your husband and, and his father might put even more pressure on you or you might feel like it puts more pressure on you. But that pressure, usually we put it on ourselves and we squeeze our kids rather than push them forward. And so... Um, be aware of that, that you're putting that extra pressure. It's not going to help. It'll probably just hurt him. So you're not responsible for his career. You're not responsible for changing him. You can be aware of what you're doing. It does have some impact. I want to say it has no impact. But if you put that pressure that you're going to make or break him, you're going to put too much pressure on yourself and actually you'll probably hurt him more than help. Thank you so sure. much. Sure. It was nice Thank talking to you. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Take care. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Dr. Ferry. Good Thank afternoon. you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. How can I help? Yes, actually... Um, I am between a rock and a hard place in okay. order to make a decision. Let me tell you a bit of our background. By the um, way, you're, I don't know if you're on speaker. The, the sound's coming a little bit unclear from our end. No, I'm not on the speaker. Actually, I was in the car. I had to pull over okay. in order to be able to talk to you. Okay. So I'm in the car, but uh, no, I'm not on the speaker. Okay, go ahead. Um, we moved here to Houston, Texas uh, three years ago from mm -hmm. L.A. 
okay. I have three kids. The oldest one is going to be 15 in six months, and uh, my daughter, she's 13, and the youngest one, she's 11. This, the move, it was really, it was, it was a cultural shock for them, mm-hmm. and it really affected them, and it was a drastic change that um, we, up to now, as a parent, we are paying the consequences of that move. Mm-hmm. But right now, um, after being here almost three years, uh, we moved here because we of the job opportunities. We got it, even though we were working part-time, my husband and I, we both teach at the college and university. But um, we have a bright future. We're going to get a full-time position. Everything financially and work-wise is going to be wonderful. But the question right now is my kids, none of them, despite of being here for three years, they don't want to stay here. They dislike this city. They, especially my son, he he was an A student when he moved here, and for the last two years, he literally was about to fail. And one of and he had to take summer classes. Yeah. And um, the reason he said, "I'm the same person. I'm intelligent. You show my performances in the past, in the past." But I don't like here. I don't want to study. And this is the only language for me to kind of push you to go back. Hmm. But right now, um, I'm under lots of stress. And that stress is detrimental to my health because I've been diagnosed like um, eight years ago with multiple sclerosis. But unfortunately, this summer, my, my medical condition got worse. And I got more lesions and reached to the point, and my doctor told me, you expect, I mean, you might become paralyzed at any time. So you hmm. have to watch it. You should, not, you should not be under stress. Which actually the reason for all those new lesions that put me in this, this situation right now is because of the stress that I went through with my kids. Although I had a good job, I was happy teaching. That's what the job that I was looking for back in LA and didn't happen. That's why we moved here. But seeing my kids are suffering so badly, depressed and unhappy, put a lot of stress on me and kind of worsening my medical condition. Hmm. Right now, um, um, I personally think we should go back and because of the kids. I know there is a bright future for us, but what about them? My husband is reluctant to do so. He's telling me, let them stay here, tell them LA is over, and we have a bright future here. We can buy a house. We can afford. We can kind of. It would be cheaper to send them to the college. I can't. I get those points, but right now, as I say, I'm between the rock and horse place. Yeah. I don't know who should I please, knowing that I'm the one actually physically, um, kind of, it's physically affecting me because I go in and out of the hospital because of the MS flare-up, because of the stress that I'm having. Mm. That, so, yeah, that's a tough situation but, to be in. I mean, you're in a... Between several rocks and a hard place, it seems like you have your three kids and your husband, and and then you have your own health issues. And even the way you're talking about things, it seems like part of what can contribute to every a lot of what you go through is you carry the load for a lot of people that you're thinking of how to make 
everyone else happy, even if you're, you know, paying the price for that. Um, and it's been three years, which is quite a amount of time. You know, of course, moving is always going to be difficult, especially for kids. And, you know, the first six months, year, even you could expect that it's going to be a challenge, but three years, it still seems like they're resisting the move. Um, I don't know how different you mentioned the culture shock, but it's almost like there's an anger there that they have towards you guys, uh, that that they're angry that you guys moved them without them wanting it, and that you've you know put them in a situation they don't want to be at. And even in your your eldest uh, son, like a, a rebellion that he's like, I'm going to do bad in school to show you. It's become a power struggle, you know, and he's and he's doing that, and that's obviously going to hurt him too, but it's hurting you. Um, and it seems like at least what you're sharing from your husband's side, there's more of just the focus on the financial. Uh, it'll be cheaper for college, better now, you can get a home, which of course can matter, but uh, the mental health of your kids and your own physical and mental health is to me worth more than anything. It's going to be priceless compared to those things. And of course, life is, you know, logistics are real. We can just say money doesn't matter, but of course it does. You have to make sure you're okay. Um, but of course, at what cost in other ways? So I can understand um, your dilemma. What, where are you leaning yourself? You want to move back. Mm, I personally, um, the heat here is detrimental to my health. I lost so much weight last summer. It was too hot. I was already in boot camp. Mm. But um, it's not good for me because mentally also it's challenging having that much of burden and that much of pressure and not knowing and seeing my kids suffering, it's just really, it's just forcing everything. And, and it's not just academic performances for my kids that went down. I just see, I have a medical background. I don't, and, and I couldn't do residency because that was the time that I was diagnosed with MS and everything changed. But I can see he's depressed because after three years, he doesn't have even one concern here. Mm-hmm. He, he always stays in his room and plays games with the, with his friends back in LA. He's in touch constantly with those people back in LA. So does uh, your he doesn't go out? Yeah, he's depressed. He's passive aggressive, you know, um, anger and resentment, but not performing well at the school. But for me personally, his academic performance is not an issue. I know he's smart; he can catch up. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, what what does your husband does your husband see this? What is his perspective on how your kids are doing? Um, he he sees it, but at the same time, he doesn't blame it on me. But he 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 he's kind of saying we should have cut the cord with LA when we got here, and we should have not brought it up and make it an option. I'm more liberal with my kids. I listen to them, mm-hmm. uh, and I just talk to them, and their opinion it matters to me. But they, they, I've told them if everything goes wrong, we can always go back. And he said, you gave them that option. You shouldn't have given them, given them that option that we can go back. That they want that we got here. And and not only my son, my daughter, um, and the pressure, I, I think it was, because of her at the time we got here, my son, he was depressed, he wasn't acting upon it, but my daughter became suicidal mm. at school because they were bullying her, they wouldn't, he, they wouldn't accept her. 
and his uh, only king's friend wrong at school that he became suicidal. So I had to send her back and forth to LA to spend time with family and friends. She's much better, but they hated here. But I, I told my husband we moved here because of the job opportunities. I know we got a job that we um, dreamed about it and we wanted to have that job. Yes, I wrote a piece. I enjoy it, but I really don't anymore. Because yeah. I see my children suffering. I know moving back to L.A., it's good for my kids because it's the same place, the same people that we're going to encounter and meet again. And even their friends are, are there and they're going to go to the same school. Mm-hmm. But job opportunities, we have to submit application. We might not have a job for a time being. But I'm not sure, and honestly. It, yeah. it, it, it scares me, too, because as, as, as I've told you, I, with my disability, in, I, I put a burden on me if I'm ha- going to make this like a, another mistake. Because they think, because I, it was my idea to move to Houston. Huh. Well, so, you know, obviously there's a, as there always will be lots of parts and moving parts to this, you know, the, the, when you move there and the option, well, your husband is saying, I do see some of his point though. I mean, not that we tell our kids you have to move there and you have no choice, but sometimes when we make it so, if we make it too open that, you know, we're going here, but we might be moving back if you guys don't like it, then your kids are not going to try to like it there. You know, it's, it's different, but it reminds me of when Iranians came to the U.S. and for a lot of them, they just thought, okay, everything's going to change back and we're going to go back to Iran when things are better and they never tried to settle in here. And so even they've maybe been here uh, 40 years and they're still as if they're new to the country in some ways because they don't want to settle in here, you know, metaphorically or uh, really they have their bags packed still to go back. So there might have been some of that and maybe your own guilt about moving them made you want to not make them feel so bad and say, oh, we might move back. Um, which not that it wasn't an option, but they never, they might not have tried as hard to settle in there. So there's something to what your husband is saying, but the way you're describing things, uh, the, the family is in chaos and disarray from you physically and emotionally and to your kids. And it can't be ignored as, okay, they'll just get over it. Or, you know, it's just a phase. It's been three years and money matters, but their mental health and sanity and your own yeah. physical and mental health, again, is worth way more than, than all that. And, um, you know, it's interesting. You said you're between a rock and a hard place and it's a kind of cliche, but from our partner, we want them to be our rock, not a rock that we feel pressure against, but a rock that can help, uh, you know, support us, keep us stable and be there for us. But it doesn't seem like you have that. Unfortunately, you and your husband have that together of being on the same page and supporting each other through this, you have very different ideas. And so it's pretty complicated. I'm at a commercial break, but I don't want to stop our conversation now. So I'm going to put you on hold and we'll talk a bit more after the break. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to the caller with before the break. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Oh, yes, I'm Hi. here. Okay, good. Um, so you shared about uh, what you've been dealing with with your family, as you put it, being between a rock and a hard place with your three kids around 15, 13, and 11, um, and your husband. And you guys have moved to a new city from California to Texas for about three years. And so 
uh, and your children have not been doing well at all. And the more I thought about it over the break too, it, it was just, I know it's very easy just to say, uh, okay, the money doesn't matter and make it work. But really with what, what we described with your kids and also your own physical health and how, mental health and how it's being affected, it's very serious and it can't just be put on the back burner as, okay, well, well things will work themselves out or we're going to be doing so well financially you know who cares about living in a big home if everyone is depressed in that home you know um so i, I think you and your husband seem to see this very differently from what you're sharing uh, no he uh, he agrees with what i'm saying that it, it's better for me better for the kids uh, because they were going to be less stress on me but at the same time um I acknowledge his fear and, and anxiety about how we're going to support ourselves, how we're going to live over there. We got a job here. This is the job we were waiting for so long, and it didn't happen back in LA. Now we're going to go back to square one again and experience the same thing. What if, and he asked me, How do you feel? Do you love teaching? This was your desire as a doctor, as a become, become, be able to. But I said, I love to teach. I enjoy teaching. But at the same time, um, I, I cannot see my kids suffering. It just, it's not about me as of now, what I like, but it's my desire. It's just as a whole, as a family, I'm looking at it. You know, it's just, yeah. I cannot disregard the pieces because I'm happy and I got the job that i uh, waiting for that job for so long. But yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not easy, but um, uh, something has to be done. I, I'm wondering, you know, you said your one of your daughters was suicidal. I'm assuming she yes. saw therapists during that time. Yes, okay. the middle one. Yes, she's yeah. doing much better, but she still she wants to go back. She, mm -hmm. um, they all want to go back. It's the, the little one, yeah, the younger one, the youngest one is she's fine, but uh, um, she still. Wanted to go back. She still talk about her friends, but um, as of now, what do you think? What would be the best well, choice? Well, one thing I was also going to suggest when I was asking about the therapist is considering family therapy because there seems to be so much going on within the family, uh, and sometimes family therapy is ignored because people think of individual therapy and then couples therapy, but family therapy is not something that people often um, do. They don't do it enough. And clearly there's some big issues within the family going on. And even your son saying things like, I'm doing bad in school because it's the only way to get you guys to move. There's power struggles and dynamics happening that are not going to be healthy and are hurting everyone, hurting him and yes. you guys. You know? yeah, that's the effect of it, which I'm, I'm not happy with it because um, I I cannot undo what had happened. Right, and so, it, it scares me because if he carry on, he is going to be fifteen in six months, and I'm I I, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm kind of disabled upon to act to react mm -hmm. to his yeah you know what he do, he's doing. But he has the, also he has a point. It's just yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. The the point of the therapy would also be to facilitate the communication and resolve some of the issues that you guys have between yeah. each other. Do you think everyone in the family would be open to that? 
Yeah, they, we've been doing that. We okay. Just, uh, I, I, especially me, I need it because of my multiple courses is just up, going up and down. But uh, yes, we we um, seeking help and seeing therapists. But um, as I said, my husband is safe. That's fine. But I'm afraid if we go back, I hope everything would be the same way that they um, expected and. We're going to survive. We're going to be able to survive, but it's going to be a little bit difficult to find the same job, same thing that we do mm-hmm. here, and it might never happen. So it scares me at the same time. Yeah. He's so pessimist also about it might not never happen. Right. Well, I mean, part of being, in, uh, you know, when you say you're between a rock and a hard place is within your own head because you're not sure what's the right thing or what's a good thing to do, so you feel stuck. It's not just your kids and your husband and the outside forces. Internally, you have that feeling of being in a, between a rock and a hard place. And if you guys move back, it's not going to necessarily be easy. And I'm glad you're going to family therapy because part of what I think has to happen is the kids are mad at you guys, which we can understand, and some of that has to be resolved, whether that means you guys actually move back or at least by acknowledging that they're upset or making them feel understood, that could make things a little bit better. It doesn't mean it's going to take it all away, but there could be something that maybe can be done within the relationships, not just about moving or not moving. That can be obviously very important, but um, always as a therapist, we're looking at what's happening between you guys as well. How, how has it affected things like your husband's relationship with the kids? Kind of, he's unhappy. He's very unhappy about his performances, especially with my son. So um, okay. he does, he's really, really unhappy because, he, as I say, he literally failed last year mm-hmm. and had to take summer classes. But, you know, for me, when, especially when you, no matter what the kid is doing before, but especially if you said he was doing well academically and they get an F, an F is not an academic grade. It's more of an emotional or psychological grade telling us he's not doing okay. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, I'm, I'm not doing well because I'm not doing yeah. any homework or assignment. I go to school. When I take the test, I get above 90. So mm-hmm. I'm fine. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's kind of protesting, essentially, you know, yeah. he's, it's he's like, yeah, right. So that's what I mean. So your husband's not happy with his school performance, but your son, I'm sure, doesn't like getting F's either. But what's their relationship like? Is it just about the school and he's unhappy? What else is there? They, they enjoy each other's company. Okay. They used to go fishing, but right now, as I say, it's last two years, he's kind of, my son distancing himself from us. He doesn't want to do anything with us. Okay. He doesn't want to go out with us. He doesn't want to spend time with us. And what does he say? You guys don't care about what I want, or you guys don't care about me? Um, no, but he said you guys made a mistake by bringing us here. You just were thinking about yourself. And what do, what do you say to that? What do you say back to and him? I, I've told him, Sammy, um, this, the reason we are moving, because there's a lot of opportunities, job opportunities over there. Right, but do you acknowledge his pain, that you understand what he's saying? Yeah, I know. But I don't know. That's That's why I think kind of blaming myself and well, I'm not saying it's to blame yourself uh, to, to get you know hurt yourself, but acknowledging there, you know, you're right. Maybe we did not think of it. We thought this was going to be best for all of us, but we didn't think how it would affect you guys, or we didn't expect really it would hurt you guys this much. Yes, that's what I told him. I wouldn't have never ever made such a decision if I knew that I'm going to affect you that much. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I wouldn't have made such a drastic changes from one state to another. I didn't know it was going to be that drastic. There's so much conservative religious that you cannot cope with that or you cannot find a friend. But I explained also that it wasn't intentional. And I agree. I, I, I feel your pain, your anxiety, and everything. It's the same for me. I don't have any friends here. I don't have any family member here to support me or support us. But um, we have to stick together by just passive-aggressive behavior. It doesn't happen. Well, but I mean, he's also passive-aggressive because, well, first of all, he can't be so aggressive-aggressive, and then it also he feels like he something is happening that he doesn't want. You know, it's kind of like protest is a kind of, it can seem like passive aggressive in time, in a way, but it's usually because the person doesn't feel like they have power to, he can't move himself back to California. So he's trying to hurt you guys in ways. So you understand his pain. And, and I get what you were saying to him, but sometimes when we tell someone, I know your pain or my pain is the same as yours, they don't feel like we're showing them we're respecting their experience and their pain. Because we're saying, I know your pain. He's like, no, you don't get it. Because if you knew how much I was hurting, you would have already moved back to California. So it, it's sometimes it comes off, even though it sounds like we're trying to be nice and say, I understand. But people do that a lot. And actually, it can feel very bad. Someone can tell you, oh, you don't know what it's like to be uh, gay in America or gay. And they say, oh, no, I know your pain. I understand how hard it is. And they can feel very hurt and invalidated that you're assuming you know what they go through so i know it's been hard on you too but when you tell him you know what he's going through he feels like no you don't and also you had the power he didn't have the power to to move there that wasn't his choice so it's not the same and i know you're saying we want to stick together and have this unity but if you tell him well also our pains have to be exactly the same then he won't feel like you really get him and what he's going through and he'll feel even more alone Yeah, I um, I hope that would be a right decision. That by moving, I I don't so many things had happened that I cannot undo it, and I hope that by going there, I'll be able to help them to just get them caught up mentally, be the same as they were. But I don't know. You're, you're saying if you guys move back? Yeah, to plus. Yeah, moving yeah. Back to well, I mean, you have to also be ready if you guys move back. You know, it's not like, okay, everything goes back to three years ago. You know, it's not a reset. It's There's still a lot that's now happened. They still might be mad at you. You have to be ready for that. You can move back and you're like, okay, we gave, gave you what you want. Why are you upset now? But they're still mad about the, the three years. And so it's still going to be a challenge. And I know you feel like you've probably went through enough already with this whole move and everything that's happened. But um, just be ready for that, that it's not just a reset and their feelings are still going to be there. They're going to have, they're going to be mad. How can we do this? I missed these three years. Now I came back to the school and everyone has all these inside jokes and memories and stories. And I didn't experience any of that. There could be that too. Don't think that by moving back, it erases what's happened these last three years. And it's less about focusing on blame. Cause I know even when I brought it up, you focused on that. It's more about understanding their feelings about it. What's happened. So it's not that you were a bad mom or, or we're just focusing on doing a bad thing, but it's focusing on what they've went through. It's okay. That was really painful for them to, to have to switch schools and everything and switch cities. And, and they might still be upset with you about that. But I do think it's so important for you and your husband to be on the same page about these things, because you're talking about sticking together, but you and him need to, to stick together even more than anyone else to be that rock for the family. 
And whatever that, yeah, whatever that right decision is, it's going to be hard. So be ready for that too, that it's not okay. Well, we made the right decision. Why is it still challenging? If you guys move back, first of all, you're talking about the logistical things, financially, all those things, which will be very difficult. Moving itself is very stressful and your kids will have to adjust again, even though you might be going back to where they were. It might be, of course, easier than moving to Texas, that initial move, but it'll be hard for them to readjust back to what they had and what was going on before. And don't expect that there won't be still feelings about what happened, even if you give, seems like you're giving them what they want, you know, it's, it's become pretty complicated. So there's going to be a lot to deal with and that's tough. And of course you, you mentioned what you're going through. Stress is the last thing you need. So make sure you're okay and taking care of yourself too. Thank you so much, Dr. Sure. It was nice talking to you. It seems like a tough situation. I do hope, uh, you know, however it gets resolved is for the best for you and the whole family. But thank you for calling. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, thanks for calling. Hello. Hi, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. So, um, just to give you a little bit of history, I have a 18-year-old daughter that is in 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very beginning, she, she doesn't have any kind of physical um, issues, but we noticed that She's a little bit different. Uh, her interest when she was in elementary school was kind of different from other kids. Um, she was super active, super happy kid, and um, she had a great time at school, but she wasn't too much into learning stuff. Um, I think because she didn't have the same interest as other kids, she couldn't find any real friends that find um to invite friends with any kind of excuses, taking them to um, dinner, playground, all this stuff, just to make sure that she can find some friends. Um, so she, but still, she was very happy by herself. She Let me. Mind. So when you say her interests are different, like how are they different? So when she, everyone was into Hannah Montana stuff in her age or Justin Bieber. Didn't care about those interests at all. She was into like uh, Pokemon and all the other stuff that was like ten years um, older um, was popular. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't have a kind of conversation with the other kids when they were putting even in elementary they were putting some makeup on, all this stuff. But um, she got a little bit bullied. She started talking pretty late when she was um, three and a half years old. And um, so I was taught that she has some issues with communication, that might be it. And um, anyway, um, then she, she got kind of bullied by a rich uh, boy in the class. And this happened during the whole um, elementary school. That's why actually we moved from that neighborhood. And I, uh, in the new neighborhood, she went to a new school. Um, that was um, actually when she was in sixth grade. In sixth grade, 
usually they're supposed to use um, start middle school, but this school sixth grade was actually the people, the kids they had it um, all from kindergarten. Okay, can I stop you there for a second? When you say you guys changed, you you guys moved. Was that because she wanted you guys to move? No, we were in a very well. It was kind of um, we thought about it that because of issues that she had, and also because. We were living in a very old house, and it was time for us to move to a different neighborhood. Okay, and I don't know the whole situation yet. The only reason um, I, I was curious about that, I, again, this could have been the right thing to do in your situation. I don't know everything, but a lot of times I'll see families where, in your case, was moving cities, but they'll change schools or move classrooms when there's some kind of a conflict or an issue uh, instead of trying to deal with the issue. So I was just wondering if there was something there. Uh, it seems like the bullying, of course, is not okay, and we definitely want to do something mm-hmm. about it and not uh, mm-hmm. ignore it. But um, sometimes just moving might not be the best solution either. It might show us that we can't handle the situation or deal with it because mm-hmm. it could come up again. But anyway, okay. So it, it seems like she, has she been given any diagnosis th- throughout her childhood of any kind? Would she, did she say she wants to have more friends or she was happy with, she was okay with uh, her social life? She, it becomes like a pattern that she was calling them to come over and mm. they always answer was no. So she, I think it, it was just like a bad luck. I don't know what, what's going on. Well, but, I don't, um, I mean, it does sound unlucky, but I don't know if it was just bad luck. We want to try to understand what was going on. But what I'm still trying to understand is, did you want her to have more of a social life or did she want to have more of a social life uh, and when was able? I, both, kind of both, because she she wanted to have a social life, but um, she couldn't get the response back. And the kids, they were, um, you know, she had like one friend that she would say, I'm coming over, then she would cancel at the hmm. last minute. So lots of all this stuff. And yeah, so, and, um, and the reason why so, I wanted to, you know, when you said bad luck, um, it wasn't to blame her, but we're trying to understand, it does seem like you, you mentioned her, yourself, her being a little bit different from, the mm-hmm. most of the kids which can make right. it challenging so it could be something about how she is that she might not get along or make mm-hmm. good relationships with a lot of the kids um mm-hmm. although we'd want to find her kids that might be more like her you know having mm-hmm. similar interests than her um mm-hmm. you know things like that so i don't know and maybe you've made those attempts and she has also especially mm-hmm. w- with online it can be easier to find people who have similar interests, especially when they're not, you know, right, the typical ones. Exactly what's happening okay. now. So has she just another? Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I asked about diagnosis before, I was wondering 
has anyone said that you might be on the autism spectrum, have something like Asperger's? Um, so they, they told me that she might, she might have autism. They told me she might um, have ADHD, and she had depression and stuff. And these are all things happened when she was in high school. So mm-hmm. what I mentioned by bad luck, like in elementary school, I put her in the uh, soccer um, practice and games and all the kids and um, the, the kids that in the same neighborhood, the old neighborhood, they were so competitive. So they tried to make fun of her, but mm-hmm. she was not pushing the uh, ball, uh, you know, fast enough, all this stuff. So that was one bad luck. I put her when she was in middle school in volleyball uh, team. The volleyball team was, um, the lead was just basically doesn't care. The kids, they have just fun. And they, when they, the time come, came that they had some um, actual games, they would keep losing games. And it made my daughter love pretty sad because then she was just keep crying in the actual game mm-hmm. they were keep losing it so that's what I meant by bad luck yeah. uh, well it's also so, you know she I mean I'm getting a feeling of what your daughter might be like of course it's just based on your short description um, and that's why I mentioned the Asperger's because it seems to have some of those uh, qualities but it might not be the case I don't want to say that's like obviously not some kind of diagnosis I can give with confidence but um, as you mentioned yourself, she does seem to be different, and different isn't necessarily bad, but different can be difficult, especially when we want to fit in and make friends and you know, mm-hmm. and be able to meet other people, and it seems like that's a challenge for her, and I'm glad you're saying she's trying online to find people that might be more yeah. interested in things she's interested in. Now, do you have any other kids? Yes, I have another kid that her daughter, her sister, she's older than her, and... Um She's totally different, and uh, she's like a go-getter. She's, um, she's basically, she knows what, uh, she wants to be successful. She wants to make a lot of money. She's educated. She, so she's all independent. So they are totally two, two different characteristics. So, um, yeah. But the issue that I have now, uh, so I wanted to give you a little bit of background of her, but now the issue that I have with her, she is a super, super nice. Um, she wasn't shy at all during the elementary school or middle school. Um, she just tried to reach out to people, to other kids, and she couldn't get that much of a response. Uh-huh. But she was happy. She was. Um, she was not. She didn't have social anxiety at all. She By the way, we have just about four minutes left. I, I know probably is not a lot. But just want to give you that warning. So, but go ahead. Okay. How many minutes? About four. Oh, four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so probably I need to call back. Um, That's fine, yeah, but we'll see what we can get to right now. But go ahead. So you said she didn't have social anxiety before. I'm assuming you're saying now she does? Yeah, so she's in uh, high school, so she has social anxiety now. She, she, is, she found some people online, so based on the same kind of interest she has, now she is kind of in with these social people. And she just, I can tell you that she can spend like the whole week uh, getting out of her room and do this stuff. And mm-hmm. that's fun. She laughs. It's really fun. But that caused her that all the grades are so low and she's in 12th grade. And I don't, I'm not even sure she can pass or she can send a She's super, super smart. She's much smarter than my older daughter. And so, and uh, she just, when I tell her that it's not going to be right, you know, you're going to be 
Uh, the good news, and she's just keeps telling me I don't care. I said that, you know, I, I tell, I try to punish her. I try to give her prize. I try to encourage her. I did every single thing or every mm-hmm. single strategy that I could yeah. think of. But, but we're, basically she said, right. I don't care. Yeah, but that's the thing. If she, you know, she's saying, I don't care. And we can't make someone care. And especially we can't make them care for what we think they should care about. And so I understand you want her to, as all parents always do, meet their potential. You're saying she's smart, but she doesn't work very hard or work towards goals. And that can be hard for you to see that. But you yourself you know, are aware of and acknowledge that she's different than um, most kids, different from your other daughter even, who, for lack of a better word, we sometimes might say is more of the typical development. And sometimes it's like a word that's used in research you see typically developing and developmentally delayed or other words that might be used but the sense i'm getting is and you're saying she's different and we have to be aware of that that if we make the same goals for her not that i'm saying we just ignore whatever's going on and say everything is okay but if we try to make her like someone else make her like her sister we're going to, first of all, hurt her and crush her and also give her the message that who she is is not okay. So, of course, we want to encourage her to be the best she can be and to be happy with who she is and how she's living her life. But be aware of how much there might be a pressure you're putting on her to be something that she's not. Doesn't mean she doesn't need to work hard. Doesn't mean we don't need to encourage her. But if you turn this into a battle with her, if I'm going to convince her that she should care, you're going to just drive yourself crazy and hurt her in the process. I do hope, as you mentioned, you know, you'd call back again because we've just opened things up. You gave me a good background about her, but it's just something to keep in mind in the meantime, that you're aware that she's not like her sister and not like other kids. And so she might deserve to be treated in some ways the way she is and wants to be treated, not the way, you know, we have to make her a a typical kid. I get the sense that she's just going to be a little different and again, different doesn't mean bad, but different can mean harder for her to fit in, but also um, harder for her to find the path because most people are expected to go on a certain path. And so mm-hmm. we have to help her in that process. You know, she's making these friends. Maybe it's finally she's finding a community where she feels like she belongs. So we can mm-hmm. understand she wants to spend time with them and not do work. Now, it doesn't mean we just say she never has to do her work, but we want to, mm-hmm. as always, first show we understand her. So try to go into her world a little bit, which might be different from your world and what you think in general, to connect mm-hmm. with her. So I'm going to have to wrap up now. I really do hope you call again because I want to, yeah. to hear more from you and talk more about her. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate you calling, but hopefully we'll talk soon, okay? Yes, of course. Thank Have you a great day. Time. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to Ghazali here in the studio and all the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.